Amen. Praise God. Life is worth the living because he lives, because Jesus is alive. Praise God. Thank you, Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing that that song is to us. Thank you for Martina. I praise you in the name of Jesus. Um, you know, I believe that song could go to number one. Uh, uh, long ago, years ago, I had a testimony about that song. I wrote about it, actually. Um, I'm not going to speak about it right now because it's not really got anything to do with this teaching, but um, it's on our website. Um, it's called Circumstances Are Subject to Change. Uh, wordofvictory.net is our website address if you want to have a look at it. But praise God, I, I love that song. It's such a blessing. Um, you know, today, friend, I just praise you and I thank you, Father, for, for this time together, Lord, as we join together here. We are united in one accord, Lord, as we come before your presence. We come through the blood of Jesus and we come to worship you and praise you and thank you for what you have done for us, Father. In Jesus' name, by sending your Son, we praise you and we worship you, Lord. We thank you, Father. We thank you for breakthrough today for people, Lord, as we listen uh, to your word, Lord, as we study your word together. Lord, I thank you that you are revealing, Lord, even things that are uh, that need to be surfaced in our lives, Lord, um, even fears or, or, or things from the past, Lord, that need to be uncovered and healed. I pray for the anointing of the Spirit of God in this word today that will bring healing and wholeness to each person, to our hearts and to our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. I want to talk today about... Um, something I think that is not spoken about often, and that is death and what happens after death and how it's related with grief. So what I want to speak about is death, grief and eternity. And um, to start, I'd like to, if you'd come with me to the book of Revelation and chapter 21. Praise God. We thank you now, Lord. We thank you for this word in Jesus' name. Your word, Lord, is what you use, Lord, to give us light, uh, to bring hope, to bring healing, to bring comfort and to bring peace to us in Jesus' name. Amen. In Revelation chapter 21, John has seen a vision of the end times. And this is what he wrote about in this whole book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And he had just witnessed in uh, what, what is chapter 20, the great white throne judgment where he saw all those who had rejected God um, come before the Lord to be judged. And it says in, in Revelation 20, verse 15, anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Praise God. Lord, we just thank you today, Lord, for those ones listening to this. We bind all fear in Jesus' name. You know, often people are, are terrified and they, and they don't want to talk about death and heaven and hell because they're absolutely terrified by this subject. But I take authority today in the name of Jesus over the spirit of the fear of death in Jesus' name because it's not something that you need to be afraid of, friend. If you know the Lord Jesus and you're in relationship with him, you have a guarantee of eternal life. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died on the cross and why God raised him from the dead. He was the firstborn from the dead as a mark, as a sign, as a guarantee that 
that we have the gift of eternal life through Jesus. Amen. So if we go to chapter 21, Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make things, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There is a correlation here between death, crying, grief, mourning, and eternal life. And it's tied together quite simply. Either I am trusting and believing in God in obedience to his word, or I am not. Rejection of God and disobedience to his word results in dying twice, physically and eternally, suffering, you know, being totally separated from God. So dying spiritually as well as physically. In John chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus talks about his sheep. Um, In verse 27, he said, you know, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And then he says, and I give to my sheep eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand that's you know the promise of God for us friend is that when we are in relationship with Jesus when we realize that we can never work out our own salvation that we can never pay the price the penalty for our sins that he has already done it that's why he said there in You know, I am the Alpha and the Omega at the beginning and the end. It is done. That's why he said on the cross, it is finished. Jesus said, it's finished. And, you know, when Jesus was on the cross and he gave up his spirit uh, to the Lord and died after he said it was finished, the Bible tells us that the veil that was in the tabernacle was torn from top to bottom, not from bottom to top, It wasn't a man who tore the veil. It was God. Because when the Son of God died on that cross, it said there was a mighty earthquake and the veil in the temple, in the tabernacle, was ripped from top to bottom and the presence of God departed from the tabernacle. And that's why he says here in Revelation chapter 21, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. No longer does God live in temples made by hands. The book of Acts tells us. Now, since Jesus came to this earth 
and died on the cross for our sins and then was raised from the dead and went back to be with the Father and sent his Holy Spirit to live inside of every believer. Now the tabernacle of God is with men, is with you know mankind, with people, his sons and daughters. The anointing of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit himself, lives inside of you and inside of me when we have acknowledged Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. This is the, the beautiful thing. That's where Jesus talks about in John 10, about how his sheep hear his voice, because he's living inside of us. He's speaking to us. And as we listen to him, as we obey his word, as we study his word, we follow him. We don't follow the voice of the stranger. And we have the promise that when we die and when we close our eyes on this earth, that we will open them with Jesus. Death is something that we all come into contact with. There's only one have to in this life, and that is we all have to die. Many people see death as an escape from their pain on this earth, but how wrong they are. Listen, if they don't have a relationship with God through his son Jesus, they are in trouble that they can never escape from. It has been a false gospel that teaches, look, it's all right. You can intercede for your loved ones after they have died. And, you know, hopefully God will take pity on them and eventually allow them into heaven. This is a complete lie and an abomination to God's word. And those who teach it need to repent and tell the truth about salvation. And if they don't know the truth, well, then they need to study God's word, the Bible, and learn it. Jesus said that if we remain faithful to his word, the truth that we know and understand from that word will set us free. That's in John chapter 8, verse 32. The truth that you know and understand will set you free. And how people need to be set free from the spirit of the fear of death because it holds people in bondage. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 tells us that's why Jesus came in the form of flesh and blood, why he came as one of us to defeat forever the power of the devil who held the power of sin and death over people, the fear of death that people had been held all their lives in bondage to. Jesus came to break that once and for all. And it's not that we embrace death and we want to die and, you know, go off and take your own life. Listen, like Martina sang, life is worth the living because he lives. God has a plan for your life. And suicide and taking a person's own life is not the way to get out of life because life goes on forever in one of two places, either in heaven or in hell. And if a person doesn't know Jesus, then unfortunately they have rejected him and his word and, and they can never pay for their own sins. And thus, you know, nothing that is holy, uh, that is unholy can come before the presence of God. We have been made holy by the blood of Jesus. And this is what grants us the right to eternal life is his blood that he shed for us. And when people think that suicide, you know, and, and God help many people are, 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 are not in their right mind. You know, they're, they're under serious pressure and oppression and, and just, you know, have snapped. 
But I'm telling you today, don't give in. The Lord has a plan for your life. Circumstances are subject to change. And what, you know, what things look like right now today, listen, tomorrow they can be different. Because as you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and as you get into relationship with him, as you remain faithful to his word and abide in his word, something changes on the inside of you. And though circumstances, you know, might be difficult, you, the Lord changes us internally. He, that's how change happens. It happens from the inside out. And I want to encourage you today. The Lord has a plan for your life. He loves you and he wants you to accomplish things that only you have been appointed and anointed to do. And there is hope. You see, the world and, and religion and, and the devil, all it hands out is hopelessness. Well, look, maybe you don't know. Nobody knows the mind of God. Oh, get away from me. Listen, open the Bible and find out what the mind of God is. He won't be long telling you. The truth that you know and that you understand will set you free. Many people are in total bondage to the fear of death because they are terrified of going into the ground in a coffin. What happens if I wake up inside it and no one hears me? What happens if there's nothing there? Do I just cease to exist? You know, there's all these questions and they all come from doubt and unbelief and from a lack of knowledge of God's word. God is very clear in the Bible. It's quite clear. But people have been, you know, told, don't ever touch the Bible, don't read it. It's, it's a whole load of fantasy or mystical stories and none of it is true. And anyway, no one can understand it because nobody understands God. The worst thing of all that people are, feel or are, are, are hear in their heart is when their spirit man is crying out to them. Repent of your sins and receive Jesus as Lord before it's too late. For the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what Jesus preached. He preached on this earth. Repent. Repent of your sins. Turn back to God. He loves you. The kingdom of God is at hand. You come under a different jurisdiction. You are a citizen of heaven when you ask Jesus to come into your life and when you live according to his word. If a person has not received God's free gift of salvation, if they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he came as one of us, that he lived and died, like the song said, he lived and died to buy my pardon. If a person hasn't confessed aloud that he is Lord, haven't repented for their sins, or don't have an understanding of why he died on the cross to take away those sins, that God raised him from the dead, for our complete acquittal, they are not saved. And no matter how much prayer is offered after their death, there's no change. It's too late. This is no joke, friend. We will give an account to the Lord about what we did to bring the gospel to others so they can be saved. Salvation can only be received on this side of the grave and there is no plan B. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. He is alive as proof that God exists 
and that he wants all his children to enjoy eternity with him. Our lives here are but a short vapour, but eternity is forever. And forever is a concept that our earthly minds find it difficult to understand because we are, you know, ensnared by the limits of time, by clocks, by calendars here on this earth. There's no time in eternity. It's forever. And I know that I want to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. And I know that I can do that because I have accepted him as my Lord and Saviour. It's that simple. When death comes to the door, you know, we are devastated and our grief needs to be expressed. But for those who know where their loved ones have gone, that they were saved, joy and hope replaces worldly grief. Grief can have a detrimental effect on a person's life. But also, it affects even their children. Because it's a spirit that affects the entire family. Even those not yet born. Because grief is in the heart. And as we know from Proverbs chapter 4, out of the heart flows the issues of life. So everything to do with life originates in the heart and if our hearts are scarred and broken from grief this sets an atmosphere in the home and it sets the tone for one's life. We can grieve many things. We grieve for those we have lost, for those who have died because of their age or sickness or cancer, um, sudden deaths, tragic accidents, suicide. We grieve for things that will now never happen. You know, for unfilled desires, for weddings, for graduations that will now never take place because of those who died young. We grieve for things that have been lost. Not just for those who have died, but even for those who are alive. You know, for those who look like that they'll never be able to do things that other children will. Um, parents of, of children with severe or profound uh, difficulties, often you find this with them, that they go through a process of grief, of grieving for what the child won't do. And yet, you know, these children accomplish and achieve so much. We grieve for things that we have personally lost. Broken dreams. Maybe childhood innocence. Maybe childhood fun and freedom that were lost to trauma or to abuse. Maybe wedded bliss that has been lost because of a spouse that betrayed these things are a different type of grief and they're called loss of expectation. But it has the same emotional effect on the heart as the grief of death. So the enemy uses these emotions to rob people of hope. All of it across the board is the same thing. Hope is robbed from people. And this is why many people struggle 
in being able to receive a miracle or to receive God's love and mercy because their faith and hope have been knocked out by this grief that the devil has caused them. They're only looking at the circumstances, what can be seen, and they find it hard to look at what God can do, the unseen things, because he is the God of the impossible the God who causes the mountains to move for us. Whatever the loss, whatever the grief, whatever the sorrow, know this. Jesus took those things upon himself to set us free from the prison of sadness and pain. And his word brings life and hope into us as we get to know him through his word, so much so that he strengthens us from the inside. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 53. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for your word now in Jesus' name. We thank you for your ministry here of comfort and of peace, Father. And we thank you, Lord, for training us and showing us, Lord, the great things that you have for us, Lord, the freedom that you won for us in Jesus' name. In Isaiah chapter 53, it says in uh, verse 3, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. But surely... He has borne our griefs, our sicknesses, our calamities, our anxiety. And he has carried our sorrows, our pain, our anguish, our afflictions, both mental and physical. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace, our shalom, our soundness and wholeness was upon him. And by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed and made whole to be wholly well. So he strengthens us from the inside. The word of God says in Isaiah chapter 40 that he gives power to the weak and to those who have no might. He increases strength. There is a weakness and a weariness that comes with grief and sorrow and loss and pain. And Jesus took that upon himself when he was beaten and when he was being rejected and despised and spat on. He took that sorrow and that pain so that we could be set free. Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk, he's a minor prophet. He wrote it this way. Uh, let's go look at it, actually. Let's go find Habakkuk. I'm probably not even pronouncing it right, but anyway, that's that's my, my accent. <laughs> Praise God. I think it's um, between the books of Nahum, I'm nearly sure. Yeah, before, right after Nahum and right before Zephaniah. The book of Habakkuk. 
he's talking a lot about about grief here and questioning God, you know, why why are these things happening? And this is something, you know, people often will hide these things and, and even Christians, you know, because they'll feel like, well, I must be full of doubt and unbelief if I have questions or if I'm saying like, Lord, why did this happen? I was believing for, for that one to be healed or I was believing for, you know, a mighty breakthrough there in my life, you know, and, and it, it causes people shame then as well because they don't want to seem like that they have no faith. But, you know, the person we could be most open and honest with is the Lord. And that's what Habakkuk did in this book. He he was open and honest with the Lord, and the Lord answered him. And at the very end of, it's only three chapters, but at the very end, you know, he says in verse 19, well, in 18, you know, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He's he's spoken here that no matter what happens, no matter no matter what happens, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation, the Lord God, Adonai, he is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, like hind's feet. And he will make me to walk or to tread on my high hills, on those things that are in my life that are mountains. You know, and I'm barely clinging on to the side of the mountain. The Lord will strengthen. I love uh, Tony Evans. I heard him preach once and you know he's been through a lot of loss and and pain and uh, he said even if the mountain doesn't go away God will give me strength and legs he will give me mountain climbing legs and he says you know we're to trust God in the dark as much as we trust him in the light so God gives us those mountain climbing legs praise God so let's talk about death and more importantly, what happens after death, the hope of resurrection. We may have endured sorrow, but we do not sorrow like those who have no hope. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 4, verse 13. It's in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You often hear this read at funerals. You know, and while you're going there, Psalm 30, verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. There's always the promise from God, the hope of a resurrection. That no matter what the enemy has done, no matter what pain or difficult circumstances or loss or trauma you have been through, there is hope from God. He wants to bring change into your life and into your circumstances. And he was not the one who was the author of those pain, of that pain. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul is speaking here and he says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, or those who have died, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. You see, there's a worldly sorrow that is hopeless. And when you abide in God's word and when you study his word, one of the the um, attributes of God or, or one of the, the things that he, he manifests in your life is hope. 
Hope is manifested and this is why so many people, their whole lives change once they discover what's written in God's word. Because their whole outlook and perspective changes and where once was only hopeless, now they have hope. So worldly sorrow has no hope. God is speaking here and saying, you know, listen, people who have died, this is what I want you to know about them. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Christ or those who have died in Christ, in Christ, trusting in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, not trying to make themselves right with God, but understanding that We could never, as human beings, pay the price for our sins. But Jesus came, and he never sinned. And he shed his perfect, sinless blood so that we could be accepted and made right with God and given the free gift of righteousness. That's what the message of the cross is. So, those who are in Christ, um, this is what happened, or this is what will happen. For this we say to you, verse 15, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Praise God. Comfort one another with these words. Are grief and sorrow bad? No, and yes. No, it's not bad to grieve our loss. The Lord gave the people of Israel 30 days to grieve Aaron and to grieve Moses. So he appointed a time to sorrow. But yes, it is bad to become overwhelmed by the grief and the sorrow, by holding on to it or by becoming trapped in a bondage to grief. There's a difference. And there we see like that we are to comfort each other. Of course, you know, when somebody, the Lord told us, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. That's in Romans chapter 12. We are to to have empathy and to, to minister to those who are grieving. But for those who know that their loved ones have gone to be with the Lord, yes, there is a grief that needs to be expressed. But there is also a joy that needs to celebrate. He's gone home. She's gone home to be with the Lord. And they would never want to leave him. In John chapter 11, we read the shortest sentence in the Bible. Jesus wept. You want to go there and see it? John chapter 11. In verse um, 32, Mary came where Jesus was and she saw him and she fell down at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother, who was Lazarus, would not have died. She was in deep trauma. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, 
he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35. Jesus wept. Full stop. Shortest sentence in the Bible. And what was Jesus doing? He was weeping for his friend. He was weeping for the trauma that his friends, the sisters, had been through as they watched their brother die. Even though he knew he was going to resurrect him from the dead, he wept. The Lord is not untouched by your pain or your tears, friend. In in verse um, or in Psalm fifty six, I think, in verse eight, it says, "You keep track of all my sorrows, all my wanderings. You have collected all my tears in your bottle." You have recorded each one in your book. The Lord is touched by what touches you. But he has hope for you and good news. That's why Jesus said, you know, go preach the gospel, the good news, that there is hope and that there is resurrection from the dead. Jesus wept for his friend Lazarus and for his family whom he loved, but he brought them good news. He told them, and it's there in verse um, 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is interested in your pain. He suffered, he took our griefs and our sorrows so that we would not have to endure it. He is your greatest hero waiting to comfort you and bring you hope and strength to come out the other side. Psalm 27 in verse 10 says, Even if my father and my mother forsake me, yet the Lord will hold me close. Psalm 139 verse 10 says, No matter where I go, I cannot escape your presence or your spirit. Your hand will lead me and shall hold me. In Isaiah chapter 49 verse 16, God says that he has inscribed your name on the palms of his hand. He will not and cannot ever forget you or leave you. So, You need to allow him, yes, allow him to comfort you and realize that you are constantly on God's mind. He loves you. In, uh, no, I don't think I'll go there yet. Okay, wait. In, yeah, Psalm 46, you know, and, and, Bless God, uh, Richard will give the ironic blessing later on in this podcast. And he's speaking out today, Psalm 46. And I just think that's such a blessing, uh, you know, because he's hearing from God. And Aileen will sing at the end as well. She will sing, be still and know that I am the Lord. And, you know, that's in Psalm 46. God is our refuge and our help, a very present help in trouble. Through all this, you know, we're just passing through this life. We must become aware and acquaint ourselves with eternity and with heaven. We've read there earlier on, you know, that that God has put all our tears into his battle. 
that he, you know, he has recorded every one of them in his book. That there is a book of life that is written in heaven, the, the Lamb's book of life, and our names are there. Um, David Jeremiah, he's an author and a preacher, and I've heard him say, people spend ages preparing for their holidays, yet they never even think about where they go when they'll die. We prepare in spring, we prepare for the summer, we take out the garden furniture, we paint, we spruce up the place, we weed the garden, we wash the barbecue and we get everything ready for summer. We then in like August, September, we start preparing for winter, we prune back the plants, the trees, we clean out the shed ready for the fuel for the winter, stock up, we clean the chimney ready for the fire and we put the garden furniture back in the shed out of the way, we get ready. Lots of people are very organized and prepared for their lives. They love organization. They love order. God bless them. What a gift that is. <laughs> I try to be that way and then oh, fail. You know, people, I know people, uh, some even in my own family, they lay out their clothes the night before. Uh you know, such order and perfection. That's that's wonderful because then they're never, you know, running around the morning saying, oh my God, I have nothing to wear. Uh, people plan for their retirement. They put away money each week, each month from when they're like 20. Oh my God, why didn't I do that? <laughs> they put money away for their children's funds, college funds. Many of these organized individuals, however, have got a, a laissez-faire attitude towards eternity that means they leave things to take their own course it's all in the sweet by and by I don't need to worry about that it'll only depress me anyway if I thought about it if they think about it either for themselves or for others in their family you know specifically I'm amazed how many Christians have no idea whether their family members are saved or not Unbelievers may joke and say, oh, there'll be a massive party in hell when I get there. But believe me, friend, nobody wants to go to hell. And their spirits, their inner man, know this quite well. This is why people spend so much energy searching for truth. Their spirit knows they need to be saved, but their mind and their intellect get in the way. And also, they can be influenced very easily by evil and perverse men because not all men have faith in God. That's in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2. And that is a truth, friend. And it is playing out before our very eyes right now on the world stage between media and celebrities and everybody wants to give their opinion. But not everyone has got a godly motive. And not everyone has a heart for the Lord or the truth. People can be numbed or, you know, almost desensitized, almost frozen, detached in their hearts from the effects of sin, from sin's contamination and the influence of this world. And what happens is they can, because of that numbness regarding death or what will happen when I die, they fall into using things like alcohol, like drugs to escape reality. Because thinking about what happens when they die is a place they do not want to go to because of the fear of it. But often, death comes suddenly when people don't expect it. 
Will they be ready? Will they have made things right with God? This is what Jesus was alluding to when he spoke about the the ten virgins, the five foolish virgins and the five wise virgins, the ones who were waiting. He spoke about it often. He spoke, if the, the, if the man of the house knew when the robber or the burglar was going to come, he wouldn't have left his door open. He would be ready and waiting, you know, and have everything secure. And many people just say, oh, you know, what will be, will be. But death comes so suddenly. Have people time to make things right with God. The Bible talks about how our names are registered in heaven, in the Lamb's book of life. Jesus told his disciples to rejoice over this fact. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 20, the disciples came back and spoke about how they had been, you know, out ministering the gospel. They had healed the sick. They had, you know, um, they had cast out spirits. And he said, listen, don't bother rejoicing that the spirits, the demons are subject to you in my name, but rather rejoice because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That is something to rejoice If I go to a hotel, let's say the weekend of the All-Ireland final, and I ask for a room in every hotel I go into, I'll get the same answer. No accommodation available, because it's the busiest, one of the busiest nights in, in our capital city. But if I have booked in beforehand, I can walk up to reception with no hesitation. Hi, my name is so and so, and I have a reservation. And instantly... I have access. Jesus has already given us eternal life. He said, I go to prepare a place for you and that there are many rooms in my father's house. He said this in John chapter 14. Heaven is where you belong. And God wants you to come and live there with him forever. But in the meantime, he wants you to live blessed healthy, strong, and in peace upon this earth. And Jesus made the way for both these things to happen. He paid the price for our sins to be forgiven so that we could be reconciled to God the Father, washed and cleansed of all our sins and unrighteousness by his perfect sinless blood. And his sacrifice has given us access to heaven and to eternal life. And as a result of that, we can have peace in our minds and in our hearts by knowing that when we die, we will instantly be with the Lord. Because it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, absent from the body is present with the Lord. So there is no waiting area. There is no place where you have to go to to pay a little bit of a price and burn for a while. That is nowhere in the Bible and it is a complete lie. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. The devil is deceiving God's beautiful children into sin and separation from him. The God of this world, Satan, is tricking people into ending up in hell from unbelief and into living miserable existences upon this earth before they die with no peace, no joy, and no comfort, 
all because they've rejected God's word and his love or because they've never been told it. How will they know unless someone tells them? Romans chapter 10. Sin and unbelief blots a person's name out of the Lamb's book of life through rejection of God's plan of salvation. His plan of salvation came through his son Jesus. By trusting in Jesus and acknowledging him as Savior, that is the only condition to one's name being inserted in the Lamb's book of life. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Friend, you and I, we are a whoever. What a promise and how simple it is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is simple. God made it that way so that we could understand it. (laughs) And I'm not saying anything about your intelligence, but you know, it has to be simple in order for us to understand it and receive it. Man has complicated the gospel message of Jesus, adding bits to it, subjecting people to more laws, bondage, confusion, and ultimately isolation and separation from God because they could never be holy in themselves. Religion teaches you, you must make a way to make God like you. Relationship is what God has ordained through his son Jesus. And that relationship said, listen, you could never do that. So I did it for you. I paid the price. Your debt is clear. God is reaching out to all of humanity, as he has always done, to welcome every individual into his loving arms. He wants relationship with us. Imagine that. The God of the universe, who created the mountains, the sea, the moon, the stars, the sun, who created each and everything and everybody on this earth, wants to have a relationship with you. The blood of Jesus has made the way for all of our sin, all of our filth to be washed away so we can be accepted by God as his children. Peter said in the book of Acts, and again in his own epistle, let's go look at it in Acts chapter 2. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hadn't the page opened. When Peter was was preaching, no, it's not Acts chapter 2. Hallelujah, is it? Da-dum, da-dum. Thank you, Lord. We are witnesses. Yeah, sorry, it's Acts chapter 3. When Peter and John healed the lame man at the beautiful gate, well, they didn't heal him, but they, they brought the gospel to him and, and prayed with him, and Jesus healed him. But... Peter looked at at all the people and um, 
they were all amazed at this power that they saw, at this man being healed. And in verse 12, this is Acts chapter 3, verse 12. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us, as though by our, our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him, this man, this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So Peter spoke about this, how he and the other disciples were witnesses to the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead into a new glorified body and that he appeared to them many times before he ascended back to the Father. Jesus gave his disciples instructions to preach the good news to every creature and we are his disciples now. We are his followers, the exact same as them. The good news is that God the Father loves you and loves each person upon this earth. And he has rescued and redeemed us from our sins, from our sicknesses, from our sorrows, from our griefs, and from all fear and despair. He has taken the power of sin and death through his son Jesus, who became the ransom for us so that we could be forgiven and restored to God, sinless, forgiven, holy, and made whole. And though our flesh will die someday, we have the promise that our body, though buried in its corrupted state, will be raised incorruptible and in glory. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Oh, I was going to read this from the NLT, wasn't I? In 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 35, But someone may ask, How will the body be raised? What kinds of bodies will they have? What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put into the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. Then God gives it a new body that he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh. One kind for humans, another kind for animals, another kind for birds and another for fish. There are also bodies in the, heavenly, in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly body is different from the glory of the earthly body. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and stars each have another kind. And even the stars differ from each other in their glory. It is the same way with the resurrection from the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. That's what happened to Jesus. His body was broken. He, he laid down his life and allowed his body to be broken 
so that we could be made whole and so that we could receive the gift of eternal life. And then he was raised incorruptible. He was raised with a glorified body. And this is what Peter was talking about, how that they were witnesses of this, because Jesus, you know, they were at one point all inside in a locked room. I think it's in John chapter 19 or 20. And they were all in a locked room, the disciples, and they were very afraid of what the Jews would do to them. And so uh, they they locked themselves in. And the next thing they looked and Jesus came through the wall. <laughs> now you don't do that with your physical body. Hello. Praise God. So that's what he's saying there. You will be raised. Our bodies will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. What comes first is the natural body. Then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we now are like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. And then he goes on to say in verse 51. Well, I guess we better read 50 since we're there. What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. But when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live, to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. O death, or sorry, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming back soon and looking at world events right now. We are in the end times, as noted in the Bible. We, we have to see that the season we are in right now is the end of days. And look up for our salvation draws nigh. It is not something to be afraid of. Because once you know that you are saved and reconciled to God through the righteousness of Christ, you need not be afraid. But we do need to do the Father's work like Jesus did and carry out his instructions. He said, as he is, so are we. So what is the Father's business? Cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. Freely give as we have freely received. Give people your time. Love them. Pray and intercede for them. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 teaches us that love never fails. 
God is love and he will never fail you. And we, the body of Christ, are made up of many members and we are to bear with each other, support each other, encourage and love each other as Jesus loves us and how we are looking forward so much to being reunited again and being able to worship together again. And, you know, God willing, it will be um, at the end of the month for us in Ireland on the 29th of, of June that we will be able to meet together again and, and celebrate what Jesus has done for us. We need to talk to those who are hurting. We need to pray for them. We need to pray for those who are weak in faith, those who have lost hope, and give them your testimony. What has the Lord done for you? What benefits have you received since you came into relationship with God through Jesus? It doesn't matter what denomination, what, you know, what uh, gender, what nation, the, the people, people are all the same. They all need to know, we all need to know our creator so that the void inside can be filled. And the only way to fill that is with his presence. And what results from his presence is peace. Jesus is the prince of peace and he is the prince of life. And that life and joy and peace that he brings, nothing else can fill that void. So I hope that this word has encouraged you. I pray, Father, that you would use us, Lord, as mighty vessels of honor to bring your glory and your presence, your comfort and your peace everywhere we go, Lord, in Jesus' name. I'm going to invite you to come back and break bread with me and... Then we'll hear from Richard in Psalm 56 and we'll hear from Aileen singing Be Still by Hillsong. Praise God. Come back soon. As the deep pants for the water so my soul longs after you. You alone are my heart's desire and I long to worship you. You alone are my strength, my shield. To you alone may my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire and I long to worship you. I want you more than gold or silver, only you can satisfy. You alone are the real joy giver and the apple of my eye. You strength my shield to you alone may my spirit yield you alone are my heart's desire and I long to worship you you're my friend and you are 
my brother, even though you are a king, I love you more than any other, so much more than anything. You alone are my strength, my shield, to you spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire and I long to worship you. Praise God. Thank you, Meg. Isn't that just beautiful? Praise the Lord. You know, and that's where we are, friend. Our hearts are panting for the Lord, whether we know it or not. <laughs> you know, we need him. We cannot exist without him. And he is so merciful and so loving and so gentle. And he wants to heal you and deliver you and set you free from everything that has caused you pain and hurt in the past. And he wants you to bring you into a, a, a place, a broad place, a place of, of a, a bright new fresh start and a new day in Jesus' name. It says in um, Psalm 30, You have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. You have taken away my clothes of mourning and clothed me with joy, that I might sing praises to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. That's Psalm 30, verse 11 and 12. And that's what he's done for each one of us. And, um, you know, I'm reminded in, in Luke chapter 24. And, you know, I love Luke um, 24 and I love John 20 as well. The, the accounts of, of Jesus, you know, coming back to his disciples in his glorified body. But um, in Luke 24, that morning of the resurrection, when Mary and the women went to the to the tomb early in the morning to anoint, to finish off, you know, anointing Jesus' body for burial. And um, they came there and the stone was rolled away. Um, Luke 24 verse, uh, let's see, verse 3. So they went in and they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And as they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. And then the men, men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? And I want to say that today. You know, he isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Many people struggle with accepting that their loved one is inside in the grave. And so they're constantly drawn back to visiting the graveyard and, and, and ministering, you know, and to the grave. But listen, your loved one is not there. And we cannot look among the dead for the living. And this is the reason why many people are devastated and can never come out of that state of grief or can never... Uh, allow the Lord to touch those places that are throbbing with pain inside of them where where they are 
you know, sorrowing and grieving. And, you know, the Lord wants to set us free from that grief. That's why in Psalm 30, he says, you have turned my mourning into joyful dancing. There's a turning and a change in circumstances when we know the Lord. We don't grieve like we read in First Thessalonians 4. We don't grieve as the world grieves, as one who has no hope. That's what the angels told Mary and the other women that morning. He's not here. He's risen from the dead. Stop looking in the dead places for that which is alive. He is alive. And uh, they, let's see, he, he isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. God always confirms his word. He always confirms his word. And that is why we need to get to know what is written in his word. This is why Jesus said the truth that you know and understand will set you free. It's also why he said my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's lack. It's not lack of knowledge. We have so much knowledge in the word in the world right now. Daniel said, you know, in the end of days, there will be so much knowledge and people will be going to and fro throughout the whole of the earth. We have loads of knowledge. But we have very little knowledge of the word of God. And we are, you know, this is why our world is in a pit of despair. It's why, as Richard will read in Psalm 46, that the nations are in chaos. Because the nations have turned their back on God's word. And they are now preaching the gospel of celebrity. And the gospel of opinion and the gospel of, well, this is what I think. And this is what, you know, the media thinks. This is why our society is falling into lawlessness. And it will continue until people discover what's written in God's word. And until they humble themselves before the Lord. Because otherwise they're waiting for the day of reckoning. And God wants no one to be there in that day of the throne room judgment. The great white throne judgment. He wants to people to uh, live and reign with him forever. That's what his son died for. In Luke 24, it goes on about the road to Emmaus and where Jesus met two of his disciples on this road as they were journeying and they were so sad and downcast. And, you know, we've preached on this. We could preach on this chapter forever, I think. And he says, you know, what's wrong? And they, they say, what do you mean? Are you the only person on the whole planet Earth who doesn't know what's after happening? And then he says, what happened? What things and he leads them on and draws them out to bring out the grief and the despair and the pain and the loss. Because listen, these emotions are very real and they need to be dealt with. And blocking or numbing our emotions is not a good thing. You need to leave it out. And that's what the Lord was doing here with his two friends. So he, he listened to their, their hearts and to their story. And then he started to speak to them in verse 25. And Jesus said to them, you foolish people, 
You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer these things before entering his glory? Then he took them through for all the way through the word of God from the writings of Moses and the prophets, explaining all the scriptures concerning himself. And at this time, they got to their destination and Jesus made on as if he was going to go ahead, uh, keep going on the road. And they, they begged him, would you stay with us? Because, you know, that he had ministered the word of God to them. And already they were feeling better. So they asked him, stay the night because it's getting late. So he went home with them. And verse 30, as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. And I ask you, if you have your bread there with you now, or your piece of cracker, or whatever you have, let's take the bread. He blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. Now, he couldn't disappear if he was in his old fleshly body. That was his new glorified body. It's the body that your loved ones have been given when they open their eyes to be with the Lord. And it is the body that you will one day have. So you don't need to worry about death or dying. Uh, it is not something to be afraid of because Jesus has already defeated it and it has no more power over you. Death could not hold you. What song is that from Hillsong? Is it Jesus? What a beautiful name. Anyway, let's get back and concentrate here. Rose, don't get distracted. Have you found that you're getting distracted lately like me? <laughs> a lot, because I think there's so much overwhelming us coming off the media, coming off the news, coming off the phones. There is a time for getting away and coming away with the Lord and being quiet, isn't there? Praise God. So we take this bread today, Father, in the name of Jesus. We thank you. Jesus, you, you took the bread, you gave thanks for it, you broke it and you said, take and eat for this is my body which has been given up for you. We are eating, Lord, the knowledge and the understanding of what you did for us as we take this bread. It's just a piece of bread, but what we're doing is we're remembering that you allowed your life to be taken from you. You gave it up willingly. You laid down your life as a sacrifice so that we could live. And we eat this bread today, Lord. We eat healing and wholeness. We eat the resurrection power, that dunamis power that you have uh, filled us with, Lord. We, we thank you today for that dunamis power bringing breakthrough and celebration and joy instead of despair. In Jesus' name, amen. Take the bread. Hallelujah. Let's read on. Verse 32. Then they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scripture to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. And there they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. He has appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them. And they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And that's the thing. When we take this communion meal, when we break bread together, when we take the bread and the cup, what we're doing is we're remembering what Jesus did for us and we are recognizing and acknowledging his sacrifice. So let's take the cup now together. And this cup is just a cup of juice. Today I have cranberry juice. And you know, just what it is, is it's a symbol. It's not Jesus's blood. 
but it's a symbol of his blood that was shed for us. And we take this cup together. We say, Father God, I ask you today to cleanse me from every sin. I repent of my sins and I come before you through the blood of your son Jesus who has cleansed me and made me righteous through his sacrifice. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and be Lord of my life. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and open my spiritual eyes to take in and understand your word and what you have done for me. I ask you, Lord, to use me as a vessel of honour for your glory. Let me bring your presence, your comfort and your peace everywhere I go so that others will know that you live. In Jesus' name, I give you all my heart, all my pain, all my sin, all my shame, all my grief and all my sorrow. And I thank you, Jesus, for healing me. I decree and declare today that I am a child of God, bought, washed, cleansed and paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. And I thank you, Lord, for this new life and a fresh start for me. In Jesus' name, amen. You can take the cup. And Lord, we take that cup in remembrance of your sacrifice and we do it in remembrance of you, Jesus. We proclaim your death until you come again. You know, while we're here in Luke 24, let's just finish it off. So they recalled how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And he sp- and as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? <laughs> He's getting frustrated at this stage. They all were standing there with their mouths open. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he ate it as they watched. So they, they watched every mouthful and every bite he took. <laughs> then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It is also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. And you are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven, with that dunamis power. And then Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting up his hands to heaven, he blessed them. And when he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. So they worshipped him and then they returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy and they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. And that's the thing, you know, one touch from Jesus diminishes and and, uh, makes every trace of sorrow and 
and pain disappear. All anguish, all pain has to leave in his presence. All fear has to leave in his presence. And instead, what comes is the Spirit of God, his peace, his power, his resurrection, healing power, his love and his joy. And I pray that joy for you today, friend, in Jesus' name. We release our seed and our tithes today. I praise God for our faithful uh, people, Lord. I, I bless each one of them and their families today. I thank you for your hand of protection upon them. I bind the spirit of retaliation against them, against their children, against their families, and against their households and their, their workplaces, their businesses. I bless them in the name of Jesus. I pray for the spirit of increase and abundance upon them, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, friend. Psalm 46 God is our refuge and strength, a well-proven help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holding dwelling place of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she will not be moved. God will help her in the early dawn. The nations roared, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, see the works of the Lord, who makes desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts off the spear. He burns the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Amen. The ironic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his shalom, in Jesus' name. Amen.